from the entertainment capital of the world. I'm Christopher Calloway, and this is Creator Talks. On today's show, I have two guests, Carlos Jafani and Juan Doe. They are the creators behind Strayed, coming out next week through Dark Horse Comics. This is Carlos's first independent comic book, first creator-owned comic book. But we do talk about the first independent comic book that he read and where he found it and what was so cool about it. Also, we're going to be speaking with Juan Doe. You've seen Juan's work on many covers for books, including Dark Ark and more. Now, the writer of the series Strayed, Carlos, is a musician, and he's also a video game producer, so writing comics is fairly new to him. Conversely, Wando is a comic book veteran, and we learn about how these two work together to make Strayed, and we also learn about Juan's background. First, why is he named Wando? And second, how did he go about getting into comics? He took a different path. He worked in a different area of design. And of course, I'll get to the kicking back with the creator questions as always. Now, when we had this conversation, it wasn't long after the earthquakes felt in California and as far out as Las Vegas. So I start off my conversation asking about that. Did they feel it? How'd they react? And then we get into comics. And stay tuned, after this episode, I have a special announcement. I have the good fortune to have some extra content for you coming out next week. So even though I said every other week, I do have something else. But first, let's enjoy my conversation with Carlos Cafani and Juan Doe, the creators of Strayed, here now on Creator Talks. Carlos, welcome to Creator Talks. Thank you, Chris. Welcome, Juan. Thank you, Chris. Pleasure to have you both here. Carlos, question for you. You're in California still? Yeah, I'm in LA. Oh, okay. Then you would have felt a little earthquake. Yes, I felt uh, both of them, actually. The first one, I was actually my computer. I was doing some writing, and I felt it. And I have two cats here, and they both just looked up, looked back down, and went back to sleep. <laughs> uh, and, and the second one, I was downstairs. It went on for a while. And I was already planning in my head what I was going to do to get the cats and, and maybe get out of the house. But oh, uh, thankfully, it wasn't that bad. But uh, it was definitely scary. First one I didn't feel was I'm out here in Las Vegas. I was told about it. I was driving back to my house, which is probably why I didn't feel it, because I was in my car. And my uncle texts me. He never texts me. And I'm like, oh, God, what's wrong? And he said, there's an earthquake. I'm like, there is? So then he said, turn on CNN. So then I saw it. And then the second one, we were all chilling on Friday evening watching Aquaman streaming it. <laughs> nice. And uh, so this surround sounds on. And I'm thinking, man, this is really, you know, I mean, my, my couch is shaking, right? And I thought, that's not right. The rhythm's wrong with the, uh, the whole action scene. So I look, I think the dog must be on the couch scratching herself. And I look over and she's on the other couch. I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> then it hit me. Yeah earthquake i said honey i think there's an earthquake she goes there is i said stand up she goes i'm moving i'm like yeah how about that (laughs) it's it's really weird like even after it you feel a little like everything is still shaking after a while yeah it kind of started and stopped then started again like somebody put another quarter in the sofa and i was like this is really weird (laughs) (laughs) that's <laughs> uh, some scary stuff when you've been in uh in japan uh juan is you probably got in a few of those because uh, oh yeah, yeah 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 no 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 totally totally and uh, in fact when it's like a pretty bad one 
we have like this emergency bag and my wife immediately goes and jams it in the door, keeps the door open. And then we're sitting there waiting. Okay. 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 And then it kind of like goes away. I remember like the first couple of times I experienced it, I was freaking out. Cause of course I'm thinking of not just this building, but the mass of earth, like this mm. whole thing is shaking and every crevice and every building is shaking. So uh, quite terrifying. We do definitely get a few aftershocks there, tremors, you know, throughout the year. I thought Cali also and Vegas experienced it a little more often, but I guess this was pretty, pretty heavy, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I felt it uh, in the six years I've been here, maybe four or five times that I felt uh, them. So not that often and definitely not as strong as this one. Did you get used to it after a while? I mean, it's like, OK, it's like a thunderstorm. It's like, eh. <laughs> uh, I think so. There's a lot of like sort of smaller aftershocks that, you know, will last just like a few seconds. And then we definitely know when it's a stronger one, when the shelves begin to shake. I have some like sculptures that we have on the wall and we've got like thin wire. That's kind of like just in case, you know, something were to uh, happen. But, uh, you know, thankfully nothing crazy has happened. And I hope it doesn't. So <laughs> even though I work at Aftershock Comics, so. <laughs> so it's enough right. with, the, with, with, the, with the trend. It's not a good look if it actually happens. So. <laughs> So Juan, you do spend time in Japan. I know you love Japan. So how did you wind up going there? What got you uh, hooked on the country? I was always a fan of just Japanese art and manga and anime all throughout high school and, and growing up. So it was, it was pretty natural for me to be into that stuff. And then uh, I just met my wife here in New York and she's Japanese and uh, we started dating and then I went to visit Japan and I'm like, oh my God, this place is like amazing. It's like, it's, it's literally like Blade Runner to me, to, me, to my <laughs> Western New York eyes. You know? And I'm from New York, which mm-hmm. obviously boasts that it's the greatest city in the world. And it's just so different. Like the scale of Tokyo is like six New Yorks and the sheer density of it is just really impressive. But yeah, it's also a great country and we have kids and it's safe. So I was just like, you know what? I can totally like be here. And uh, which I, actually has been quite peaceful for me, not being sort of, you know, there's a lot of noise in America right now, you know, and, and sometimes that could be distracting. So it definitely helps me with my work being out there. How often do you go out there? Well, I live there. Oh, okay. But I come back to the States a few times a year. I, I always come for New York Comic Con and I always come to visit family. Uh, so, you know, I've spent, two, three months out of the year in the States. Like right now we're here for the summer. So I'm originally from New York and I have a lot of friends and family here. So it's cool to kind of go back and forth for myself. I, I travel at least a couple times a year. So I'm never fully out of New York. Gotcha. And now I understand. Okay. Let's uh, dig into some comics. Uh, yes. Yeah. I want to go back to the beginning here, get some of your background on this stuff. Now, Carlos, your first exposure was an indie comic, Paper Rodeo. I'm not familiar with that. What was it? I know this goes back quite a ways, but this was the first one that you, I believe, you picked up. So tell me about that. This is definitely the first, uh, like, independent comics that I was exposed to. I'm Venezuelan originally, uh, and I had seen, you know, like, the regular DC comics, uh, some Marvel stuff in the stands, uh, in the newsstands. But uh, the first time that I saw really strange comics was uh, Paper Rodeo. Uh, which is basically, it's almost like a newspaper, right? And it's all independent comics. And it was, this was in um, uh, Rhode Island, uh, right? There was a whole scene going on there with like Matt Brinkman 
the Lighting Ball guys, which are this awesome band, and uh, a lot of uh, people that that were just uh, making this really insane comics. And it came out, I believe, once every few months, um, and it was free. And they had advertisements for like different uh, labels and shows and other things uh, specific to that city. So um, I used to um, play in a number of bands. Uh, and whenever we went up there to Rhode Island to play, I always looked for, you know, as many of those as I could find and kind of collected them. Did that uh, hook you onto other comics? Not really, because they were so different from anything else that was going on. You know, these uh, were talking uh, like single colors, like Newsprint, and nothing was going on like it that I was aware of, even if I went to a comic book store. But it was a little bit later, uh, years later, that I was dating someone who uh, was reading uh, Why the Last Man <laughs> when I discovered that there was a whole other world of comics that I was missing out on, you know, with Vertigo uh, and then uh, with Image and, and all those uh, publishers. And then I, you know, since then I've been hooked on it, but I never thought of actually writing comics till a few years ago when I decided to really look into it and uh, read a lot about it. And I figured out that the scripting format was something that I had done before. That I had seen before, it was similar to some of the writing that I had done, and I just uh, decided to try it out. And here we are, a few years later. Did you find the transition difficult, <laughs> going from what what you're writing before, and what were you writing before? Yeah, so I was mostly doing uh, production and creative direction in, in video games at that point, as well as doing some music stuff, and I did some uh, comedy writing that didn't go anywhere. <laughs> um, I, I, I came Sorry. to LA, so of course, right away, I took some improv classes, and then I took some, <laughs> some comedy writing classes, uh, and I did a few things, but nothing that uh, did anything, um, and, and it wasn't really my thing, you know, and then, mm -hmm. um, but when I got into comics right away, I was like, oh, this is my thing, you know, uh, when I was a little kid, I had notebooks full of, um, like, robots that I would draw and, and make names for and all that sort of stuff, and I always been a big uh, fan of uh, sci-fi Japanese anime. Uh, living in South America, we actually had a few anime that were not uh, popular in the U.S., but that were uh, shown in South America in Spanish. Um, so my entire life, I just feeling really connected to, you know, geeky sci-fi stuff and comics just uh, became an outlet for me to create in that space. Do you still play music? Uh, I do. So I have a band uh, that I, I play sometimes with that's called Rogue Squares uh, here in L.A., uh, and it's like experimental, uh, electronic. I have a bunch of analog synths. Um, and I put a record out last year, too, of, uh, of my own solo music. Um, and for Straight, for this comic that's coming out soon, I am writing a, a soundtrack for each of the issues that uh, will be out every time an issue comes out. Awesome. We're going to talk more about that very shortly. Juan, how about you? Your first exposure to comics, your first comic, what was it? Oh, man don't specifically remember my first comic but i do remember the first comic that i like traded for that i thought was was significant man i, I could be wrong about it I, it was basically the first appearance of mimic on it was an x-men comic yes. I, don't know, I don't know if it was the number 10 or 11 i, I really do not remember the uh, number but at the time i used to collect comics basically like my dad would buy me comic books like every weekend you know, so I had like my stash of stuff and, and I loved all the superhero stuff. Well, mostly Marvel. I did like DC, but I, I definitely connected more with uh, Marvel. 
And I remember uh, one of my classmates, I went to his house to look at his comics, and he had this X-Men with Mimic, and I was like, I need this. And I think I traded, I don't even know, like a dozen comics, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was kind of like an NBA basketball deal, you know. I gave, I gave this guy, like, all these, <laughs> these these books, but I just wanted that one Mimic comic. And I just remember that because I knew it was definitely one of the older books with the beginning of X-Men, and I loved X-Men. That I definitely remember uh, being one of my prized collections. Uh, but yeah, I grew up very much the same way, loving comic books and cartoons and animation. Uh, so yeah, comic books was definitely the first force of influence creatively for me that I can remember. It's so funny you mentioned the mimic because when I was growing up, my dad would bring me comics. If I was home from school sick, you know, sore throat, whatever, until I had my tonsils taken out, uh, he would bring me comics. And one of the ones I distinctly remember him bringing me, and I still have it, was a copy of the X-Men. And it was one of the reprint issues, one of the giant-sized ones, 25 cents. And on the cover is the Mimic. Yes. <laughs> it, was that, it was that same issue you bought, but it was the reprint version with a different cover. But it was, I thought it was a cool looking character that had all the powers of the X-Men. Oh, it's the best. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> so, Juan, do you play any instruments yourself? Do you do any kind of music? No, 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 no. Not at all. I'm, I'm not uh, musically inclined. I love music, you know, and, and I definitely appreciate it. Um, but it, for me, it's just everything visual, anything that's been about drawing or painting, that's kind of the world that I come from. And, and that's the same thing, geeky, nerdy. I love movies and TV shows. That's basically my, my base of operation for anything I, uh, I do. That's my lens. <laughs> you know, I understand Wando is not your given name and you changed it because someone plucked your last nerve. What was your experience? What happened? So then you know the origin. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to rehash it here because uh, it's out there. The information is out there so the folks can look for it. But yeah, no, it was the, uh, and if I remember correctly, it was basically someone came over to, to my art studio and, and they were looking at my work and then they asked me my, uh, my name and I told them what my name was and they were like, well, you're from South America. Come, You don't make art that reflects that culture. And I was like, well, because I'm, from New York City, and I, and I grew up here, and I know nothing about, you know, the, I mean, I know peripherally, like, where my family is from, and stuff like that, but, you know, I felt at the time I was kind of, like, taken aback, because the guy was basically saying that because I had a specific last name, that I should make artwork related to where that name comes from, and I thought, well, dude, you know what, I'm just gonna, like, Changed my night. It was like I came up with Juan Doe, and that was kind of like an inside joke. Obviously, everyone knows John Doe. Uh, and I think for me, I just wanted a, a reflection of something that, you know, because the whole point of the John Doe name is that it's it's anonymous. You don't know who it is. And that was kind of the point of that. But by making it Juan, obviously, I'm, I'm giving a nod to the fact that, yeah, I'm Hispanic, and I'm from New York City, and I'm proud of that. But it, it doesn't mean that I have to make a specific kind of body of work because of my name. So I kind of like that little inside joke, and here it is. I, I can't believe it's turned into like almost a 20-year <laughs> career. Yeah, that's like my professional name, and that's what people know. But when I work with people, and it's never like that. I mean, 
obviously, you know, my friends and family, they all know who I, who I am. And right. it, it's definitely cool and fun. And it's a bit of like performance art, which I have some experience in. So it's pretty cool that I've gotten it to this point. And the character, Juan is a separate thing. I don't even want to get into that right now because we're talking about strayed. But, you know, <laughs> it's a cool thing. But as long as I get to do this art form, you know, I'm completely happy with it. Well, your art is quite distinct. It's like a vision from another dimension. <laughs> wow. Thank you. You've worked in so many different mediums. It must give you quite a bit to draw from to develop this unique style of yours. What other mediums do you like to work in outside of drawing and coloring comics? I've been fortunate to have a variety of experiences, you know, making art. Obviously, you know, when I was a kid, for me, it was all comic books. Like, I was like, well, this is all I want to do. I want to be a comic book artist. That was like my dream. Uh, I got into cartooning. I went to the High School of Art and Design to major in comics and cartooning. And then when it came to going to college, instead of going, because I'm from New York City, so SVA at the time, School of Visual Arts, you know, they're kind of renowned for their comic book program. But I ended up going to FIT, Fashion Institute mm-hmm. of Technology, and majoring in fashion illustration, uh, which really shocked even me. But I just found this amazing energy in the way people were drawing stuff for fashion. And I kind of got into fashion in my senior year in, in high school, even though I majored in cartooning. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to give this a try. And man, that just led to this journey that opened up all of these different possibilities of making art that went beyond just penciling a comic book page and, and whatnot. So that kind of started another journey where I got into drawing fashion and then designing clothes. And then I got into like right when the Macintosh kind of tipped and became the de facto production standard in, in a variety of industries, I was kind of there from the beginning. So I was using Photoshop from the beginning and Illustrator from the beginning. And then that led into doing graphic design. And then I became a graphic designer. And then I became a web designer. And, and then I got into some video editing and animation. So I went through all these different trails. And then I finally became like some kind of studio artist, you know, like a a Sunday painter, but I did it every day. And that was pretty cool because I wasn't working for anybody and I was just kind of making art and, you know, anything from printmaking, silkscreening, canvases, sculpture, performance art. Uh, And I ended up doing that for quite a long time. And then somehow it all just kind of converged into comic books. I was already a seasoned sort of artist and veteran when I got into comics and when I got into it, you know, it was just like a gig. It was the X-Men 198 covers uh, was my first gig. And I think even now, if you look at those covers, they're very non-traditional. They don't look like comic books. And that's because that was the kind of work I was making at the time. Uh, but I've always loved comic books. So once I kind of broke in, then I was able to kind of let go and realize that there isn't just one style or, or one method. And luckily, I had a lot of tools to kind of mess around. For me, I don't know what I'm doing. Everything I do, I consider an experiment. (laughs) Everything, everything. And then I'm always questioning if I'm being redundant. So maybe that helps in diversifying the images that I put out. Because even I look at stuff and I'm like, when did I do that? I don't even remember drawing like that. Or, or, or coming up with that color scheme, you know? So, yeah, so I, I kind of tend to live on the, on the vibes of the amazing medium that is comic books to allow myself the ultimate level of, like, expression. That's really the only thing I, I can say about that. I definitely have no method or anything that I can teach, you know? It's just, <laughs> uh, I, I get jazzed about something and then I just throw myself into it, you know? Like, straight. That was such an amazing project to uh, work on with Carlos. Well, let's talk about straight. So we're looking at 
an astral projecting cat. Blue, <laughs> yes. Which um, I think I know where the idea of cats came from. Unless you have two, so naturally you'd gravitate towards cats. What yep. makes them uh, uniquely qualified for astral projection? <laughs> so, <laughs> Does your cat have experience? What's going on? <laughs> well, you know, you never know. When you look at cats, they're just uh, staring into space. They might be traveling to space when they're doing that, right? Uh, but um, I actually, at the time, I was uh, just trying to come up with different ideas to explore. And I was reading about this program that the U.S. ran from uh, maybe the late 70s, early 80s that was called uh, remote viewing. And um, the CIA actually shut it down in 94, but they were actually trying to create astral projecting spies to spy in other countries. And um, it's documented. You can look at it online. There's, uh, you know, there's government stuff that has been uh, declassified that you can read. And, um, you know, obviously uh, they decommissioned it in 94 because it didn't work. <laughs> and I'm sure no, it was... Fancy it was, that. It was <laughs> I'm sure it was pretty cheap to put some dudes in a room and be like, okay, try to astral project. <laughs> so it was probably just like a few cents in the budget, you know, so so they kept it going for a while. So I, I was real that program. I'm, I, I was just here and I, I kind of looked at my cat and then the idea hit me uh, of, uh, okay, what if it was not a person that could actually astral travel, but an animal, right? Um, and then it, it just kind of snowballed from there. And then I started to think about, okay, what world would it be like? How would you communicate? with the with the cat uh, what would be going on what would, and and it just kind of snowballed from there into straight and this cat is looking for something uh power source and everyone's not satisfied with the results they want more and more and so this is a story too not just about lou but it's also a story about greed and those in power who overreach and just want more and more and want perfection and immortality so there's a lot going on here in the first issue. There's a couple of things, right? So the, his owner, uh, it's this woman, Kiara, who is a scientist, and she creates this device that can read brainwaves, translates that into speech, and that's how she communicates with Lou. And yeah, they're being used by these massive military corporation, basically, to search for a new planet. So this is a moment in humanity where, where perhaps like we've exhausted most of our resources, so we need to find other planets uh, fairly soon to, uh, to be able to continue expanding, right? Kiara and Lou don't know that uh, what they're actually doing with these planets is they're getting colonized, and if there's other uh, life in there, you know, it's being treated like they're below uh, a human life. And so they don't really know that they're being taken advantage of. And of course, in a situation like that, no one's happy. It always seems to be the way in sci-fi, right? You know, and it's even been mentioned here now, real world's like, it's we real have world. to find someplace else. And it, when you go back to the colonization era, right? Europe was trying to find another way to go into India so they could, um, you know, have the, the goodies coming back and forth and they found America and we all know what happened there, right? So there's definitely uh, some inspiration from the real world. And also uh, the way that uh, someone uh, in, in a position of leadership can be so charismatic that can make you believe that it's okay to take advantage of someone else, which is something that we see all the time, right? We see it right yeah. now. It's uh, something that was also inspired as a concept for me to explore, you know? When I was writing, I was figuring out, oh, there might be some people that might actually side with the premiere here that might think he's doing the right thing, you know? Well, it's interesting that you're also composing that soundtrack. One for, it's gonna be a, a track for each issue. 
Have you finished those already? Uh, so uh, it's 20 minutes of music per issue. I finished the first one and I'm uh, halfway through the second one. For me, music is when I'm writing, I'm listening to music. Juan also is a very musical person. <laughs> so mm -hmm. like we, I was telling him, hey, this is what I'm listening to. And he would listen to some of those tracks. I would send him stuff. When I started working on the soundtrack, I sent him the an early version of the first track. And I think the way he approaches his... Uh, is art. It's very musical in a way, right? So one thing that I used to do a lot, I used to live in New York for 12 years, which is another thing we have in common. I used to improvise with a lot of people that played in like Sonic Youth or Cena Parkins, who played with nice. Bjork or jazz people. And uh, I did a lot of uh, improvisation and working with Juan feels a little bit like, <laughs> like we're improvising <laughs> with each other, like we're trading certain uh, type of communication, whether we're talking or it's a script and the way he does the art, it's very different different from other um, artists that I work with. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree with that. So 20 minutes per track. 20 minutes per issue. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 20 minutes per issue. Okay. So, okay. I'll have to pace myself to it all works out exactly right. <laughs> as I turn the pages, is there a queue? Is there a queue between pages or? <laughs> there is none. So when I was doing it, I, I read it and I had seen issue one a million times. So I was like, oh, okay, it took me like six minutes or seven minutes, but I wanted to make it 20 just so at everyone's own pace, uh, they can, you know, just stare at the beautiful art for a while and don't have to rush through it. And if they finish early, that's fine. They could just uh, close the book, close their eyes and continue traveling with the soundtrack. That's totally fine. Is it going to be in the book, like how you can get the music? It's on Bandcamp. Is it going to be like a QR code or something you can download? Yeah, it's on Bandcamp. It's going to be completely free. You can stream it uh, from there. You can download it. If you want to donate any money for it, that's fine. But, uh, you know, you can totally download it for free. Uh, the link will be on the book, uh, but it's just my Bandcamp as well, which is a link from my website. And I'll, I'll put the link in Twitter once uh, each uh, issue releases as well. And hey, this is a really good story because I saw Jim Zub gave it some accolades. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. Mean, come on. I mean, yeah, Jim is, uh, I mean, super nice guy, amazing dude. And he was also an inspiration for me because uh, on his site, he has all this information about, okay, this is how you do a pitch. This is yeah. how you write a comic book. His day job, he, he teaches kids uh, animation, I believe. It's all really good. It was definitely very useful material for me when I was getting into writing comics. And I met Jim, I think, in Seattle. Uh, at Emerald City, uh, not this year, but the year before. Uh, I gave him a copy of it at some point. I think I might have emailed him uh, number two. And yeah, and he really loved it. So uh, I, when I asked him for a quote, he was like, oh, yeah. And uh, I, I was really happy with, uh, with the quote he sent back. So. That's amazing. He's a good guy. I've had him on the show a couple of times. We've talked about Japan. Oh, awesome. he goes there. Yeah, he does travel there. He loves it. Oh, very cool. And you have, in addition to Juan's wonderful artwork in the book, you have some folks doing some special covers for you, some uh, variant covers. Please tell me about those. That's ah. right. That's right. So uh, for issue one, uh, we got Dustin Wen, uh, who is one of my favorite artists, you know, lately doing the sender and ascender. Uh, for issue two, we have Jim Mafood. I mean, amazing, mind-blowing, another very musical artist, I believe. For issue three, we have Alexis Sirrett, who I'm also working on another book with. He's uh, He does space writers for Black Mass. For issue four, we got Mateo Scalera, and that's all thanks to Juan, because he's uh, good friends with him. Uh, nice work. But, uh, <laughs> he did, yeah, he did an amazing cover. I can wait for people oh, to see it. Totally. And Juan actually colored that one. And then for the last one, we got Sanford Green, which again, 
a super honor to have all of them, you know, but Samford as well, you know, these are all, uh, these are all artists that I love. I have all their books in my bookshelf. Uh, oh, I used wow. to buy uh, like art from Dustin like years ago at Comic-Con when I wasn't working on comics. I was really humbled that I was able to get all of them to, uh, to do covers for us. I call Carlos the artist whisperer. In, in comics <laughs> it seems that, like anyone that that he reaches out to like says yes uh, I, including like, including juan right like what am i including doing, me <laughs> what, what am i doing with juan Do in my first book right so yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh yeah and just to drop another name sanford green you mentioned he's been on the show we talked oh, about awesome. uh bitter root so uh yeah he's awesome he awesome. is. He's yes. a super nice guy. And he's, he's like like at every convention the last year and a half. So I always run into him and, you know, he's just, we talk for, for like half an hour every time. And he's just, uh, he's an amazing guy. He's, he's one of the best. He loves Juan's art. Um, oh, yeah. Mutual. He, he's <laughs> just one of like, oh, we're, we constantly like to like text each other stuff. I pick up some supplies in, in Japan, some art books for him. And so, yo, check this out. He'll, he'll show me the page that he's working on. All those artists are like absolutely what a lineup, you know, to sort of add to this already amazing book. So I'm really looking forward to, to everyone checking those out. Can you mention the other one? Yeah, or yeah. So we have we have one that's going to be a, um, a limited cover. It should be announced by the time this is out. We have Christian Ward doing an exclusive cover with a print that would be just for the Dark Horse Direct. And uh, I'm sure it should be announced for that by that time. Um, and that's another one that I, I wanted really to have Christian because I love his his art. I love what he did in Odyssey. I love every cover he's done. It's amazing and it's very much uh, kind of psychedelic and very much astral in a way. Um, so I reached out to him a long time ago and he couldn't do it because of his schedule. And then uh, Dark Horse, uh, when they decided to do the special cover, they mentioned Christian. I was like, and asked me if that was okay. And I was like, yeah, that's more than okay. That's perfect. <laughs> Look at that. You planted that seed, you whisperer, you. <laughs> now, awesome. Juan, normally you do your own uh, lettering, but in this case, don't you have another letterer, uh, Matt Kreutzer? And just to clarify, the only thing I've ever lettered was uh, American Monster. Just it was a bunch of different factors that that happened. It wasn't that I do lettering, you know, uh, for every book I do. But uh, no, for this book, Matt did an amazing job, amazing job, and the design of the logo and the composition of everything. Carlos got that as well. Basically, I uh, I was looking for the right team to do this book. Um, I I was uh, Matt did a book, literary book that's called Recon, and he did uh, you know something that was very different than other lettering jobs that I've seen uh, for recent books where. Um, there was some personality to the lettering. Uh, and for me, that was key for straight because I knew we were going to have captions for the cat. We were going to have the device that's uh, translating. We're going to have alien races. So I needed someone that could kind of be uh, flexible and adjust to those things. So I invited him um, and he was able to do it. You know, it was the same thing with Juan. I, when I would go to the comic book stores to see what looks awesome here. Um, his covers would always grab me, right? And I was using him as reference from the very beginning uh, when I was looking for an artist. Uh, and it, so it happens that eventually things worked out and I was able to get one in the book. 
I'm just wondering, how did you pitch this idea to Dark Horse? What was their initial reaction to? <laughs> uh, so I guess I pitched it twice to them. The first time I pitched it, I just sent it through the online stuff because they have open submissions uh, policy. And I didn't uh, hear back from them initially. And then at San Diego, I'm sure they get like hundreds of uh, submissions and they probably, understandably, you know, they have a limited number of people that can look at them. But uh, I was at San Diego Comic Con actually last year. And I was at a panel and uh, Spencer Cushing, who's the, the editor for Dark Horse for this book, uh, was in one of those panels. And uh, I already had uh, issue one uh, and I printed an Ashcan version, like a, a regular size, full color of it. So I showed it to him. After that panel, I found him on the floor and I was like, hey, dude, I, I'm Carlos. I saw you speak at this panel. Here, check this out. This is what I'm working with Juan Do. And he knew Juan. He liked it. He gave me his card and then I sent him uh, the proposal. Yeah, they were into it. Uh, after a few weeks, uh, it was approved and uh, we were rolling. By the time uh, it was approved, I think we had three issues done. Um, yeah. And we were starting to work on the fourth. So they had a lot of stuff to see, you know. And you're getting ready to go to San Diego again. This will air after, but I'm doing a panel and I'm doing a signing. Um, and I have some other ideas. I'm meeting with a few people. I have some other ideas that I'm pitching right now as well. Very cool. And you also, I just want to call back again to the book you mentioned, uh, Space Riders. Space Riders. Alexis Seward is the artist, the main artist in that. Uh, it has two volumes uh, with another writer uh, who left the book. And Alexis, uh, and he was someone that, again, I met at different conferences. And uh, we hang out. And I'm Venezuelan originally, like he is. And we just kind of, you know, we struck a friendship. And then one day he called me, I think it was November of last year, and uh, was like, hey, you want to write uh, Space Riders? And that's a book that I love. So I thought he was joking initially. You know, I, I thought he was playing a joke on me. And uh, no, he was being serious. So I did a treatment. Uh, at first, I sent it to him. He hated it. What <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it is like, uh, you know, I work with uh, with existing IP. Like that's all I do in video games. I read volume one, volume two, and I kind of made something that made sense with that. But he wanted me to like take the characters and make them my own and tell a story years later, so we could really explore. And it didn't feel like I was writing someone else's characters. Um, so I did that. I did a second treatment. I got really into it. I pulled from you know, some cultural reference, some things that. I, I was thinking about and uh, then he loved it. We sent it to Black Mass and they approved it. She one's going to be coming out uh, later this year. I've seen the covers and it's the most mind-blowing. It's like this hybrid neon <laughs> sign, black light poster, psychedelic. <laughs> it's really, really cool. It's going to really jump out off the stand. I'm telling you guys, I mean, you know, why with you doing those covers on straight and they're very striking and besides your other cover work, of course, you've got this all figured out. You know, you got the proof of concept, you got you know, the Ashcan issues, you got the covers. How can people not know about this? How can they miss this? Carlos has done an absolutely amazing job from my perspective. Carlos, this is like your first official comic book, right? Straight? That it is. A, it is. I did one know. other pitch before that, but yeah, this is my first uh, official. Yeah. You know, and I've worked in comics for many years, but I, I got to say he was so prepared and so well-versed and passionate. I think it doesn't matter if you're like a first-time writer. I think if you really got your ducks in a row and you know what you like, you know what you're doing, it's easy to kind of go out and get people to buy into your vision. And it was the same thing. When, when he sent me the pitch, it was actually perfect timing because I had been exclusive with Aftershock the year before. And for my second year, I was like, if I could just be non-exclusive so that I can you know, challenge myself, take on some different projects. And I like put it out in the universe. I astral projected. <laughs> I swear to God, I was like, hey, OK, the, this coming year, I need to do a different book. I want to throw myself. You know, I wanted to 
to just kind of like try something different. And I mean, seriously, like a couple days later, I get an email from Carlos and, you know, very cool. And all I remember is reading Astral Projecting Cat. And I just think I said yes, like in my mind. Oh, this is like, yeah, you know, once kind of like figured out the details, I was like, you know what, dude, this is like so perfect. And I remember like having my, my first conversation with Carlos and like I think by the end of it, I was like, "Oh, this is like a guy that I've been friends with for a long time. We both have yeah, similar same. You know, backgrounds and interests." Yeah. So I felt instantly like this guy is like a friend, and I have a lot of respect for him. And he's a professional. I've learned a lot from him, you know, in terms of the process of putting out your own books and coming up with your own IPs and what you need to do. Since I'm also in the process of trying to do some of that myself. So it's just been an amazing experience. And as you can see with the lineup and everything we've got going on, it's, it's been professional from top to bottom. Thanks, man. We mentioned Space Riders and Juan, uh, you have worked on Dark Arc. Mm-hmm. Aftershock, yep. And you have Bad Reception. Yes, that's my uh, my first creator-owned book where I'm writing something for the first time. And like I said, it's kind of happening at the same time that Straight is happening because Straight comes out August 14th. And Bad Reception comes out the following week. And then Dark Arc Volume 4 comes out in October. So it's like crazy because I think for a certain period of time, I'm going to have three books out on the stands, including my creator-owned book and this book with Carlos that I'm super proud of and then I'm highly supportive of that kind of feels like a DIY project that we actually got a great publisher for. I kind of feel like I've kind of stepped out of my comfort zone as an artist to basically be a producer of stories because I love comic books so much. And Carlos was actually a big inspiration for me to go ahead and, because we remember Carlos, we were in at Heroes and I was yeah. pitching Bad Reception. It wasn't even for comics. It was, it was for, for webtoons. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we kind of went through this whole process and it didn't work out. And then I reimagined it as a comic book. So, and then I pitched it to Aftershock and, you know, they kind of totally went for it. And just like that, you know, I had my own book that I'm writing and drawing, and I'm basically in the middle of that as we speak right now. Uh, so it's been really great because I get to sort of work with all these different parts of my brain when it comes to producing a comic book. Uh, you know, when I usually get a script, I don't really have to think much. It's just, boom, I just go in there and get into it visually. But when crafting a story and writing it, you know, it's more challenging but man i am just having such a great time right now putting this together so that's kind of the main thing i'm working on right now very good well we've come to the point in the show i call kicking back with the creator where i ask you questions just about you not necessarily comics just to get to know more about you as individuals you as people so for each of you and carlos i'll start with you what do you like to do for rest and relaxation i live fairly close to the beach during the summer Every weekend, uh, you'll find me on the beach, reading, relaxing, sometimes swimming if the water's not too cold. Um, so that's one of the things I do. Other than that, I also read a lot of comics. So those are the two, the two main things I do right now. And what are you reading now? Oh, man, I'm reading uh, Little Bird. I'm reading Tom's. I'm reading Tess. I recently read Middle Shark Bro, which is a really interesting and, and fun book. <laughs> yeah, uh, I have those guys on too. <laughs> yeah, nice. they're great. I was in their podcast recently. I was rereading Sandman recently. Laura Dean wants to keeps breaking up with me. It's another graphic novel that's <laughs> really beautiful that I started uh, recently reading. Uh, I read uh, Sender. um, I read Deadly Class. uh, What else? Uh, I Die by Karen Gillan is one that I really got into recently. Whatever I see that that I feel like it's unique 
and grabs me. Uh, well, two things, the art has to grab me, but also the story, of course, uh, I read. Oh, Black Hammer, I love. Yeah, that's I great. I really love the whole Black Hammer universe. It's really awesome, too. And Juan, what do you do for rest and relaxation? That's an interesting question, because I honestly feel that my whole life is rested and relaxed. Every time I get up to sit at a table and draw comic books, yeah, I don't feel stressed, man. I appreciate, I think, what I get to do. feel closest to is whenever I get to spend time, good quality time with my family and I'm able to sort of be around you know with my kids uh, that means a lot to me so you know, being a comic book artist is related to being able to work in my home which means I get to see my family and kids more often as opposed to just on a Saturday or Sunday you know so so that's really important for me to be in the mix even if I'm drawing and my kids are running around and and my wife needs something I I kind of like that sort of house madness you know I, I think for, for a lot of artists they need to get away and focus and i do too you know i get plenty of time to sort of just do my own thing but i also like having that around me so i, I do feel like relaxed and rested a lot but no like everyone else i, I love going out with the kids i love going camping uh, hitting up the beaches uh, during that time. So, yeah, as, as long as I get to have some control in doing that stuff, I'm totally happy. Good for you, man. Thank you. Now, for each of you, and Juan, this time I'll start with you, thinking back to your favorite birthday. Why was it? What happened? Wow. My favorite <laughs> birthday. I'm going to say my 40th birthday. Now you guys know I'm over 40 years old. Uh, and, 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 and I think because when, when I hit 40... I was like, wait a minute, shouldn't I be really doing something with my life? I feel like I'm just sort of wandering around drawing covers here or there, but I kind of wasn't really focused on sort of really throwing myself into the comic book industry and, and drawing full time. So I kind of made it a point. I remember on, on my birthday, it's like, you know, I really want to work on a book or a series, something that's got some teeth. I guess I'm known a lot for my covers and I haven't done a lot of sequential work. So I was kind of really looking for those opportunities and, and they just really weren't showing up until Aftershock came by a couple of years later. And since then, I mean, I've produced, I don't even know, the equivalent of like eight graphic novels in a span of like four years. Uh, so that's all I do now is produce. And I think it goes back to that 40th birthday where I was like, I really want to draw sequential stuff and be known as a storyteller and a sequential artist and still be able to do my covers, which I'm blessed to, to have. I'll tell you what, 40s, I wake up age. I was the same way. It's like... Time to quit messing around. Oh, yeah. You know? oh, like, time's running out, man. You got to get moving. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> How about you, Carlos? All right. I, that's hard to follow. But uh, I think I turn either nine or, or ten. And my birthday is in March, and it's uh, very close to Carnival. When I was a kid, every single one of my birthday parties was a dress-up party, and uh, like, you know, so it reused the same outfit that I had for Carnival. Many times I was either Zorro, Spider-Man, Captain America or Superman. When I turned nine, I was able to convince my family to have a pool party. And they uh, paid for like a table at this club. And I, I just remember having it, it was different for me. It was a different experience and all my friends being there. And it's just like a happy memory that I that I remember. Now, thinking back to middle school, what posters or pictures did you have on your bedroom wall? Carlos. Uh, Nirvana, uh, Sonic Youth, Melvin's, uh, a lot of stuff from, uh, you know, the grunge era. My walls were covered with, uh, with band stuff. How about you, Juan? Easy. I had this massive 
awesome poster of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Amazing. <laughs> 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 Because I was, you know, obviously 12, 13, that, that's the time that you're like, your body's changing. And obviously I love Arnold and I love bodybuilding. I think maybe that's the only poster I've ever had. Uh, <laughs> obviously until I became an adult, but growing up, I remember just huge, massive Arnold Schwarzenegger. So yeah, he was uh, pumping iron at that time. <laughs> this is the hypothetical situation question. This is a toughie. If you were stuck on a deserted island, you can only have one book for pleasure keep you company, make you happy, make you think, whatever, take your mind off the situation. What is that one book? And it can be a collection if they're all related in some way. Carlos. Dune, no doubt. Ooh, Bam. I, I love Dune. I also heard you ask this question before, so I thought about it in advance. <laughs> but uh, I know it's my favorite book. I reread it every few years and there's so much in it and so much that was inspired uh, by it that, uh, I don't know, I always find uh, new things when I'm reading it. That's a good choice. I read this book um, last year. It's called Endurance. It's the story of Shackleton's voyage, where they got stuck in the ice, and it was the greatest survival story of, of all time, and all of his men survived. And uh, uh, so I think if I'm going to be on a deserted island, and it's <laughs> survival is going to be key, <laughs> that's a good book to, to sort of keep me inspired <laughs> okay. to survive. <laughs> but Dune is good too, though, because you can kind of just get lost in the imagination and just become crazy, cast away. So <laughs> this is another hypothetical, not so tragic, not such a difficult situation. This is a good one. They're going to make an action figure of you. Dark Horse says, make an action figures of you guys. What is your accessory that would come with your action figure? Carlos. Well, probably a cat. <laughs> but, uh, of course. If, <laughs> of course. If, if I could have two, uh, hypothetically speaking, Dark Horse would allow me to have two. I would also get, I have this synthesizer from the 70s that comes in a little suitcase. It's called a Synthe AKS, uh, was used uh, by bands like Hawkwind and uh, Dark Side of the Moon is that, that like uh, memorable uh, synth line, uh, and I love that synth. So I would have a little uh, suitcase synthesizer and a cat. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Juan? Man, probably have to be my uh, ink brush, my uh, my samurai weapon of of choice for uh, comic books. <laughs> since I hack and slash at the page with a little brush, and these images come out. So I think that's a pretty powerful accessory. Now, this is a very practical question, something that's real world. What is your beverage of choice? Carlos. I'm trying to, uh, I'm not drinking uh, anymore. I used to drink a lot of scotch. I love scotch. But lately, uh, I've just been uh, drinking a lot of kombucha. So that's, uh, you know, it's healthy. Uh, sometimes it tastes good, depending on which one you get. Um, so that would be my, uh, my drink of choice right now. I'm going to get really analog here. <laughs> because it's it's true water i drink so much water like my wife can't believe how much water i drink and uh i always tell her you know give the kids more water the kids i mean everyone just drinks all kinds of different beverages but yeah i literally just drink water all the time so and when i'm not drinking water i'm drinking beer so <laughs> is there a particular kind or style of beer that you like ipa pilsner lager i actually love uh japanese beers ah. so uh whether it's uh, asahi or kirin uh -huh. uh, or sapporo and it's gotten to the point uh you know like i'll have a couple of drinks like on the weekends and stuff but when I, even when i come to the united states 
I can only drink Japanese beer, so I have to go search <laughs> at supermarkets if I want to have like a drink. It's like I got to. I remember when I went to Heroes Con the year that we hung out, Carlos. They opened up the Whole Foods, and I went to Whole Foods, and boom, they had some oh, Japanese yeah. beer. So I was like, oh, awesome! When I drink beer, it's usually just Japanese beer. But I will occasionally drink the European, the German beers or IPAs. But IPAs are very strong for me. Well, I'll tell you what. You know, it's always good to drink. Lots of water. It's good for you. And I never drank enough water until I got out here in the desert. And oh, now, wow. now, like I'm sitting here with a uh, a quart, and I'm almost done since we've been talking. Wow. And I, I carry it around all day. I probably drink like a gallon of water a day now. Same here. I get lightheaded if I don't. I get dizzy. I mean, you just stand up, you go, whoa. So you, you got to keep drinking. You don't have a choice. Even the kids. I want water. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. <laughs> all for water, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, think about the oddest job you've ever had. And I don't mean in comics. I mean something you did to make ends meet. Maybe it was like a summer job. Maybe uh, it was in between doing professional work now. What was that one odd job you had? I waited tables in New York when I was going to school. Um, and I was doing uh, four full days of working, two full days of school from morning to night. And I had one day off. And it was uh, in Times Square. And it was a seafood uh, restaurant that had like a lobster tank. It was just like an oddball situation because you just got tourists every day. So mm. you didn't know what you were going to get. You got people from all over the world, people that were waiting tables. Some wanted to were inspiring actors or singers that wanted to be in Broadway. Um, so it was like a really, really weird and interesting period of my time when I, when I met some very interesting people. Did you have some regulars coming in there? Uh, yeah, we had uh, two people that always order uh, chicken uh, Caesar salad, even though it was a seafood restaurant. And <laughs> and one time, and it was a woman and a man, and they were about the same age. And there was one time where we, we were trying to figure out if we can get them to come together, but um, unfortunately, it didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for me, it's easy. This It's because it's the greatest odd job you could ever imagine. I was a professional clown. <laughs> from the age of 13 to 21. Wow. I put myself through high school as well as college. Uh, it started off as a summer job, uh, being an assistant to a clown, like an actual performer. Uh, and I was absolutely blown away uh, by this whole thing. Because he, he didn't tell me. He's like, hey, do you, do you want to uh, work with me on the weekend? He was like a neighbor of ours who lived in our building. I was 13 years old. And I was like, yeah, sure. I go with him. And he takes me to this like warehouse and I go in and it's just full of costumes, like any character you can imagine, you know, Big Bird, Barney, Power Rangers, Ghostbuster. And he's like, yeah, I'm a clown and I need like an assistant to carry my stuff. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. And it was like the craziest thing. And, you know, we drove all over like New York City, <laughs> Long Island that first weekend. But I remember coming home and I had, I think, like a couple hundred bucks. So for like a 13 year old, you know, uh, like making a couple hundred bucks on a weekend. And I told my mom, like, mom, I'm going to be working with this guy. And sure enough, it lasted seven years and I became an actual oh. trained performer. And I started doing my own shows. And I was a magical, at one point I was a magical acrobatic clown because uh, <laughs> I was a gymnast in high school. Oh, man. Uh, so now that I think about it, it is the craziest <laughs> 
thing. It doesn't sound real. sounds fake. If you knew me now, you would never like imagine it. But yeah, that was a really important period of my life. And I think it let me sort of uh, open up myself to a lot of different things because it's such an unusual thing. But it was really awesome. It was in New York City. And that is definitely the oddest job I've ever had. I'm so glad I went first. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so awesome. Did I, did I tell you that story, Carlos? No, no, I had not heard oh, it. Oh, yeah. I'm, like, I'm in shock right now. I don't yeah. Think oh, I got a lot more. It's kind of like the spine of the Huando career. In essence, Huando is kind of like that, like a clown. There's like a mask involved and stuff like that. So, yeah, that was definitely a cool, great experience. Well, next time you're back, we'll hear some more stories. Yes. Awesome. Oh, you know, I wanted to mention something. When you were talking about, Carlos, the inspiration for this book, Strayed, and that uh, secret CIA project, did you see, either one of you, have you seen the movie Men Who Stare at Goats? Yes. Uh, yeah, Isn't that yeah, great? Yeah. George, it's the first thing I thought of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, it might well, have been inspired by the same thing. It's possible. I, I don't remember. Um, I got to do some reading on it. But yes, yes, that was a great movie. <laughs> that was the uh, George Clooney one. Yeah. Right? Uh, yes, yes. Where he's dancing. <laughs> yes. I'll never forget that scene. <laughs> well, the the sequel could be men who stare at cats. Yes, right? or cat, cats who stare at men. Or know? cats who stare at there. You look at that. Boom. Netflix. Are you listening? <laughs> You're ready. Well, awesome. okay. So straight number one, August fourteenth. And right after that, the week after, for one, Bad Reception, August 21st. And then Dark Arc Volume 4 coming up on October. Busy guys here. Yeah, so. yeah, man. Totally. Carlos, I, I can't wait to see you to have a celebratory glass of water. Yeah, man. Are you, <laughs> you're at New York Comic Con. We'll, we'll have plenty of water. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you so much for being on Creator Talks. Thank you, Christopher. Thank you Appreciate so much. It. And there was a postscript to that interview. Carlos contacted me today to let me know that due to a printing issue, Straight Number 1 has been delayed one week, so it will be on sale August 21st. He doesn't expect any further delays as the problem was corrected and the copies went out to Diamond from the printer August 5th. I have read issues number 1 and 2, so they are done. This was simply a printing problem that has been corrected, so you still have time to let your retailer know to put aside a copy of Straight Number 1 just for you in your pull box. Okay, folks, here's the surprise for next week. Artist J.K. Woodward will be joining the show. I sat down with J.K. in his suite at the Rio during the weekend of the Star Trek convention in Las Vegas. So we're going to talk about his upcoming one-shot, Mirrors and Smoke, written by Paul Allure. I'll be releasing a video of the interview. It's about 50 minutes long, so this isn't a quick little clip you're going to see on social media. No, no. Save some time for this to sit down and watch it. And if you prefer to listen to the audio, well, next week I will have the audio out on Thursday. But before that, I will be releasing the video interview from his suite at the Rio Hotel and Casino. And listen, recommendation... George of Meanwhile at the Podcast also interviewed JK. It's very complimentary to the one that I'm doing, so I encourage you to give that one a listen. Meanwhile at the Podcast, he comes at the book from a couple different angles. So listen to it, reflect upon it, and then join me for my interview and or the video of the interview. This show is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, tune in on smart speaker devices, and on Spotify. If you have a chance, please rate and review on iTunes, and at the very least, tell a friend. Spread the word about Creator Talks and the interviews that I bring you every other week. 
and hopefully I can bring you more video interviews down the road. We'll see what happens. I'd like to interview more people that are here in Las Vegas or coming to Las Vegas for a one-on-one -on -one discussion. Meanwhile, you can follow me and stay in touch through social media at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where I also post my Saturday Silver Age and Sunday Bronze Age comics from my collection. If you want to contact me and give me some feedback, you can do that through my email address, contact at creatortalks.com, contact at creatortalks.com. And on my website is posted all of my interviews as well, creatortalks.com. I hope that you enjoy the rest of your week and that you're diving into those comic books that you picked up on New Comic Book Wednesday. And I hope that you enjoy your weekend. Get out there and have some fun. Stay cool, everyone. For Creator Talks, this has been Christopher Calloway. Until next time. Until next time.